good, good, good. All right, good to be together today. We are going to continue on through the book of First Peter. So if you've got your Bible, which I hope you do, open it up to First Peter as we make our way verse by verse through this awesome letter. Uh, today we begin a new section in this epistle. Um, the section that we're going to be coming into over the next couple of weeks is going to deal with a very essential part of the Christian life and practice. Uh, we're going to be discussing over the next couple of weeks our relationships of submission. Okay, So today we're going to be looking at our submission in government relationships. Uh, next week we'll look at our submission in working relationships. And then the following week our submission in family relationships. So government, jobs, and family. That's some real life stuff, yeah? Excellent. So before you think about missing church, though, for the next couple of weeks because you don't like that S word, you know, the thought or the idea of, of submission kind of bothers you. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to consider from God's word how humble submission is a Christ-like attitude that all of us as followers of Jesus are to live out in our daily lives. And, uh, you know, guys, when we submit, and when we submit in the right kind of way as unto the Lord, there is great joy and blessing to be had. So let me do this. Let me start off today by reminding you of your identity in Jesus Christ. Because in the New Testament, we see that position comes before practice. That who we are in Christ comes before what we do in Christ. For Christ. Who we are in Christ comes before what we do for him. And, and so if you have, right, submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ, then you have a whole new identity. And these things are true about you. We've learned these, we learned this last week. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people of God's own possession. You're just a bunch of weirdos, right? We learned last week. <laughs> and, and these things were not true about you at one point. Maybe the fact that you were a weirdo was true about you before, but, but everything else, right? Uh, these things were not true about you at one point, but now that you have received mercy, now that you walk in the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, these things are indeed true about you. And so if these heavenly and spiritual identities have become true about you, why? Because you have put faith in Jesus Christ, then it will affect the way that you live out your physical life here on earth. Because remember, we are elect exiles. That's how Peter addresses his audience both then and now. We are elect exiles. We live in that tension of dual citizenship. And we've been learning a lot about what that means and what that looks like. Because we know that our time here on earth, that it is just passing, because we are passing through this earth as sojourners with our home set on heaven. And our time in heaven will have no end, and so we long for heaven with an eager hope and an anticipation of what's to come. But if we are citizens of heaven, we realize that there is this now and not tension to living for Christ in this world, that you are a citizen of heaven right now. 
that many of the blessings and benefits of heaven are available to you today, and so we must take hold of the blessings of God and enjoy them. Amen? But heaven's also not yet, because some of the blessings and benefits of heaven, they're still up ahead for us, like seeing Jesus face to face, and isn't that going to be awesome? Or when we come to the final end of our struggle with the flesh and the spirit. Praise God for when that comes. So until then, until we find our final home and dwelling in heaven, we are called sojourners and exiles in this world. And what that looks like is that we seek to navigate our lives by faith here on earth for as long as God decides to keep us alive here or until Jesus comes back, whichever happens first, right? And either one could happen at any moment. And so what I'm saying is this, church, what I'm saying as the elect of God exiled in this world, what I'm saying is that our citizenship in heaven is going to greatly influence how we live and act and think as citizens of earth it, it just has to change the way that we live. So let me just give you an example, right? As we've seen our identity in Christ from the text from last week. Take being a holy nation, for instance, right? That this new identity of being a people set apart for God, this holy nation, that that's going to shape how you live out your life in whatever nation you belong to here on earth. That we are a holy ethnos. We are this people who have a different national identity in the, the way that it is recognized is by our holiness. And so people should be able to see, because we are a holy nation, they should be able to see that we are set apart for God's good purposes. That we are a different kind of people from a different country. That we belong to a heavenly country. And so the fact of who you are in Jesus, that you're a holy nation, that ought to give you a whole different kind of nationalism, a whole different way in which we live in this world as citizens of heaven. Now, remember, remember what Peter exhorted just in the verses prior, verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter chapter 1. He exhorted us that in our conduct, the way that we Act, the way that we live, it's to be kept honorable among people who do not know God yet. So we live as a holy nation in the midst of unholy nations. We live as the people of God who are a nation and a people and a priesthood and a race who represent heaven to a lost and dying world. Why? So that people can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his marvelous light. Because that's what happened to you, isn't it? Isn't that what happened to you? That you were once darkness. I love that Paul says that. It's not, you were once in darkness. He's like, no, you were once darkness. But God has taken you and he has transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son when he saved you. And so if we are Ambassadors of heaven, if that's what we are, if we're ambassadors of heaven, representatives of Jesus on the earth, then the mark of heaven should be on our lives. 
that the way that we live and act and talk, people should be seeing heaven. So, church, before we get into our text today, if we are citizens of heaven, then the kingdom of heaven, and and that's the government of God, the kingdom of heaven, then it will determine our standard of conduct. It is, therefore, as we live lives of humble submission, as we honor those that God has put in authority in governments, it's going to shape how we live. How does that look? How does it look for us as citizens of heaven to live in humble submission as citizens of the earth? That's what Peter's going to convince us today. So you guys ready for it? Let's read the text. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Let me read it and then we'll pray. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you today and we thank you that your word that is living and active and instructive for today, it is open before us. We're looking at it, Jesus, and we want you to... Show us what is there, Lord. I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit working through me, Lord, we'd be able to just shine a light on what is already there in your word. Jesus, thank you that you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, that's our prayer as elect exiles. We pray, God, that heaven would influence earth. We pray that the government of heaven would make a mark on the governments of this earth. God, we ask that your perfect and good will would be done first in us and then through us for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So verse 13 says, be subject. So the Holy Spirit through the words of Peter, is commanding that every believer be subject. Now, that word subject can also be translated submit. To be subject or submit comes from the Greek word hupotasso. And I'm not a Greek expert, but I, I can read those who are Greek experts. And that word, to be subject or to submit, It was a military term. It was referred to how a troop would fall into rank and order uh, as they prepared for a battle. And then it was also a term that was used in trade or commerce, that as cargo ships would get into order and that they would travel upon the seas, that they would come in and out of port carrying their exchange. And then just many people would use this word, hupotasso, as this everyday term to refer to how people would voluntarily cooperate in any given situation. So it was used in military, it was used for ships, it was used just pretty much for everyday order 
and submission in life. And the point is that in relationships of life, there is to be order. That if the troop does not have submission, it turns to deadly chaos. And, and if ships do not have submission, it can turn to catastrophe, just crashing into each other. And there could be great loss from that. And if we don't have submission in our everyday lives and relationship, then just picture it. Every intersection in the South Bay would be the scene of a deadly car crash. No, it's my turn. It's my turn. And we're, there's, no, there's no submitting. Think about when you just come to a, to a traffic sign. There is submission and there is order in all ways of our everyday life. I mean, think about it. Look at the docks in San Pedro or the airport at LAX. I mean, you know, no one knew what a supply chain was until it was broken, right? When, there, when there's not order happening in our ports, when there's not order as planes are coming in for a landing, imagine if just every pilot just thought, I'll just land whenever I want to land. We'd be seeing fireworks over LA every night, right? Because there's order, there's submission in just the way we navigate, the way that we live out in relationships of life. And so being subject is God's way of bringing order to his creation. It's just a normal part of everyday life. And this is for the believer and the unbeliever alike. See, order is a common grace of God, meaning that God has wired this into all of us because Every person, every human being is made in the image of God. And order is good because what it does is it shows that our masterful creator is wise. That he brings order out of chaos. Therefore, if we do not have subjection or submission in our lives, then there is a lack of order and life would just be a big old mess. But if we have humble submission and, and subjection, then there is order. Now, how does this apply, though, for the Christian? Yes, this is a common grace of God, but how do Christians live out in a way of subjection? Well, Peter says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that our subjection doesn't only say something about who we are and, and how we want to live, but it says something about who God is and how God wants us to live. Therefore, if we are a people of God's own possession, we need to remember that God has given us this whole new identity so that we can proclaim his excellencies. That when we are in submission, when we're in subjection, we are displaying for the Lord's sake that he is the masterful creator, the all-wise one. Amen? And so this is why we as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, this is why we follow the commands of God. You ever think about that? You know, when God gives commands, it's for a purpose. He doesn't just throw things out. <laughs> Let's see how they live out that one. Right? God gives commands, and it's for a purpose. And a lot of the purpose behind God's, behind God's commands is that it brings good order in his creation. Think about it. 
God would not command us to do something if it didn't accomplish two things. If a command does not accomplish God's glory, one, and if a command does not accomplish our good, then God would not command it. But if God commands something, it is because it will bring about God's glory in our good. And so if we are subject for the Lord's sake, what it's doing is it's giving glory to God and it's good for you. That's why we would be subject. That's why we would obey God's commands. Now, Peter gives us our first relationship where subjection or submission is necessary. And that has to do with our relationships to governments. Okay, so look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, the most important thing that I believe this text does is that it puts all of our human relationships in relation to God. We are subject to every human institution. Why? For the Lord's sake. There is a much bigger purpose at play here that Peter shows us here that a believer's submission to the institutions of man, what it is, is it's an act of tribute to God's authority over every institution of man. Let me say that again. Peter shows us that a believer's submission to the institutions of man is an act of tribute to God's authority over every institution of man. Now that word institution in the ESV, it it can be translated creation, meaning this. That every human creation is subservient to the creator of heaven and earth. That God possesses all. God rules over all. Another way of saying this is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And so any authority that we would be subject to is ultimately already in subjection to God. So we should have no problem with submission, right? We can be subject to every human institution for the sake of the Lord. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Easier said than done. Because you might be thinking, but what if I don't agree with the particular human institution. And and I don't want to be subject to a certain human institution. What if I don't like, for instance, the government that I'm to be subject to, or if the laws and the ordinances of that government that I live in, that I don't agree with them, and I don't want to live under them? Well, that's a great question that I think Peter's going to answer for us today. And so, we've taken this slow, but I think needful build-up to read verse 13 and 14 together now. It says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So Peter gives two examples of human institutions that Christians 
are to be subject to for the Lord's sake. The first one is emperor of supreme, and the second one is governors for governors that are sent by God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to think about how this applied to the first exiles that were living when Peter first wrote this letter, and then we're going to think about how this applies to you and I today. So Peter was writing to these early Christians. They had been scattered because of persecution to various regions like Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And these Christians were living in these different places not because it was their choice. They had been driven out, scattered in a dispersion to these places. And so they now settled in these new regions. And in these new regions, perhaps there was new governments and new laws that they were not entirely used to or that they even liked or agreed with. And so this would bring about the question as to what extent should Christians be subject to the ordinances of man? Peter says, be subject to every human institution. And he includes the emperor as supreme as an example. Do you guys know who the Roman emperor was at the time that Peter was writing this? It was Caesar Nero. And if you know anything about early church history, was, was Nero nice toward Christians? No. No. No, in fact, both Peter and Paul were martyred at his command. See, one of the more graphic persecutions that Nero did towards Christians, he, he liked to blame a lot of things on Christians. But one of the most graphic things he did is that he would dip Christians in oil and then he would light them on fire as candles in his garden parties. You, you ever seen Gladiator, how the Christians are thrown into, you know, like into the lion's pit? Like that was Nero. That was like his entertainments. So when Peter wrote this, guys, did Peter forget who the emperor supreme was when he wrote this? No, he knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, be subject to every human institution, even if it be Nero. Then he also gives another example of a human institution, and that is governors. That would be the leaders over smaller local regions, and they might institute various kinds of laws that govern people locally. That would be someone like Pontius Pilate in the New Testament. But what about those governing leaders? Should we be subject to them? And Peter says, yes, and he tells us why. He says we should be subject to governors because God has sent them. Remember that any governor, any governor, even the state of California, is ultimately in that position because God is sovereign and he has divine purposes for why government leaders are in their positions. Governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. I'm going to read a section from Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7, that just carries more into this idea. Paul writes, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Sounds like Paul and Peter were comparing notes here, saying the same thing, because this, this is the message of God's word, and there's consistency there. Verse 2 says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And April 18th is just around the corner, folks. So from what Paul wrote in Romans 13 and what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, isn't it from the plainest sense of the scripture that our goal as Christians is to never needlessly disobey government or laws? plainest sense of the scripture is that our goal is to never needlessly disobey government or laws. We are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and that means to be good and honorable citizens of this earth. And we are to render to God the things that are God's. That means to be good and honorable citizens of heaven. So if there's an earthly government inscription, for instance, on money, render it. Pay your taxes. But if there is a heavenly government inscription on something, which isn't there one on your soul, then render it. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. Now, there are many for whom their earthly nation and citizenship has become an idol. It is an idol because the joy and the contentment of their soul is contingent on what happens on any given day in government. And God is calling for a people to put their hope in Christ and in his government, in the kingdom of heaven, and to have his rule be the source of our daily joy and contentment, to have our souls secure in heaven and not on the things of this world. Amen? You are a sojourner and an exile here in this temporary home we call Earth, or we call America, or we call California, or Palos Verdes, or Torrance, or wherever you live. This is a temporary place with all of its ordinances, with all of its laws, with all of its rulers and leaders, but you are a permanent resident of God's eternal home in heaven and his kingdom has no end. 
Psalm 47, 8 says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is the stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wills. So Christians, we must be sober-minded, amen? I'm looking out on people's faces and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you're pretty sober-minded right now, I'd say as you're listening to the things that are being said. I'm being very careful with my words, by the way, if you haven't noticed. Christians must be sober-minded to know that God is in sovereign control. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you believe that, church? God is in sovereign control. You know, our view of God in heaven is not that he is pacing back and forth, biting his nails, being like, oh my God, what is happening down here? Right? Scripture does not give that view of God. Instead, Scripture says that God sits on his throne and he laughs at the nations that rage against his plans, Psalm 2. He laughs at the human institutions that plan their ways to try to go against his way. He laughs because he knows that the plans of the wicked will come to nothing. Therefore, if we are his people... We ought to have a little bit less anxiety and a little bit more laughter when we see human institutions going against the kingdom of heaven in our world today. We can have more peace knowing that as we are subject, those institutions are in even more subjection to the plans and the will of God. Now, in a message like this, everyone is waiting for me to bring out another principle from Scripture. You're hoping I don't just close it up in prayer right now. Amen. And I probably should. We're going to run a little longer to, today. But we've seen what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2. We've seen what Paul wrote in Romans 13. We have seen both from the Old Testament and the New Testament that God has a sovereign plan and that there is no authority that exists unless God has put that authority in place. So God puts government in place to do this, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. 1 Peter 2.14. And for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad, Romans 13, 3. Yet what happens if government praises those who do evil and punishes those who do good? What if rulers become a terror to those who have good conduct and a friend to those who do bad? Has the world ever seen any governments like that? Are there any biblical principles in scripture that teach us what to do in that kind of situation? Now, you do realize that both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul said to submit to the government and to honor the emperor. But that according to reliable uh, tradition, both Peter and Paul were killed for not doing what they instructed us to do here. They did not ultimately submit to Caesar Nero. 
The apostles ultimately disobeyed their government, disobeyed religious institutions, and they were killed for it. Now, does that make Paul and Peter hypocrites? Or is there another principle in the scripture that overrides the one that we've been looking at today? Come back next week and you'll find out. <laughs> right? Do you guys want to wait till next week or you want to find out now? No? Yes? No. Okay. I can't leave you on a cliffhanger like that. It would be totally not fair. See, we laugh because it seems that we all know that there's another principle in the scriptures that overrides what we've been looking at today. But can I just say this, church? Remember, we must never needlessly disobey government or laws. Never. That should never be the heart of a Christian. And we should never go to this principle too quickly. We should strive to, to never have to go to this point. But there comes a point, and I'll, I'll take you to the scene of Acts chapter 5, where the apostles got arrested by the Romans because they were preaching the gospel. And it was inciting what the government thought was civil disorder. And they were put in prison, and an angel came and released them out of prison because God's heavenly ministers, which are angels, came to help because his earthly ministers weren't doing their job. So he sent an angel and, and released them out of prison. And, and what did the apostles go do after they were released? They went and preached the gospel some more. And then the government and the religious institution came to the apostles and said, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. In Acts 5, 20 and 29, it says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. You see, there comes a point for the Christian when God's laws override man's law. There comes a point when the human institution is coming against God's institutions, whether that be government or family or, or who we are as the church, we must uphold what is of God. There's a time when subjection to government is not required. If a human government orders a believer to act contrary to the revealed will of God, that is God's word, then the believer must disobey the government. In that case, we have a higher responsibility and we should obey God rather than man. How would this look? Well, if governments tell Christians they cannot gather, we gather. If the government tells Christians they cannot worship, we worship. If the government tells Christians they cannot pray, we pray. If the government tells Christians we cannot preach, we preach. God commands for Christians to gather, worship, pray, and preach the word of God. So we obey God at the unfortunate expense 
of having to disobey governments. You wonder if we don't talk about government enough in this church. Well, when the scriptures te teach about it, we teach about it. So we just stepped in it. We've been a church for a little over a year and a half, and we finally stepped in it. You've been waiting for me to say this stuff for a year and a half. And I will say this stuff when the scriptures say this stuff. But this has been a tricky issue, has it not? And this has caused division in churches in the last several years. And that is, that is more unfortunate than the unfortunate fact that sometimes you have to disobey government. The church ought to never be divided over these issues. Because we're all trying to figure out, we're all asking these questions, is when does this principle come into play? When are we to be subject to the ordinances, and when do those ordinances cross a line of what God has spoken to us in his word? And this requires great study of the scripture, great prayer, great discernment, great humility, and great honor in the way that you approach this. This isn't flippant. This isn't uh, aggressive. This is this humble submission to say, no, 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 no. I have to obey my God rather than man. We have to understand the heart in which we do these things. That when, when Peter took up the sword and chopped Malchus's ear, what did Jesus do? He picked that ear up off the ground and he put it back on. We have to understand the tensions of Scripture. And, and I see the tension being more toward humble submission to our governments, even if they are ignorant and foolish as what we'll see here see if it if government tells us to go against something that is clearly in god's word let every man be a liar we'll obey god if the government imprisons christians for teaching what the bible says is true and right then i guess we'll have a prison ministry right but i don't think we're there as a nation yet I don't think we're there as a nation yet, but there are some nations where that is true, where governments imprison Christians for doing what God has commanded Christians to do. And I don't think we're there as a nation yet, but if we get there, it doesn't hinder the gospel even in the slightest. In fact, the gospel flourishes when there is persecution. Persecution is like springtime for the seeds of God's word. The church has always grown under persecution. It doesn't diminish. It's in times when the church gets comfortable and lackadaisical and careless and ineffective that the church becomes ineffective in spreading the word, but not in persecution. And just think about the last two years. The last two years have been quite difficult, have they not? But in the last two years, I just... For me personally, what I've seen God do and what I've experienced of the gospel continuing to go forth in these last two years is phenomenal. You guys know that I moved here with my wife and two kids. Now we have three. But we moved here in May of 2020 during lockdown to plant a church. And you know what I did those first months of being here? I set up a camera, just my phone, with my Bible, and I taught through the book of Colossians. Uh, Paul wrote that book from lockdown to a people that he'd never met before. 
And, and I thought that while the world was in lockdown, that I would preach through the book of Colossians to Palos Verdes, to people that I'd never met before. You can actually go, and those teachings are on our website, book of Colossians, from my bedroom. And I had no idea if anyone would ever find those teachings and if anyone would listen or if a church would even get started here in Palos Verdes with just a family of four led by faith and led by the Spirit of God. Two years later, look at what God has done. Amen? And I do not say that in any way to boast of myself. But by the grace of God and by the power of God. Because Paul says in 2 Timothy, though I am in chains, the gospel is not chained. And guys, the work of Christ has not slowed down in Palos Verdes, California, because of the last two years. God is on the move. So we got to get the proper perspective and we got to get on with proclaiming Jesus. Amen. 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 Let me pray there. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your word and what it teaches us about how to live for you, God. And also how to live in submission to earthly governments. And even when things become tricky and complicated and how to discern, you will lead us, God, because we have your spirit in us and we have your word guiding us. And Lord, I just pray that as we worship today, we would worship as free people. And our freedom does not come from our governments. Our freedom comes because we are servants of God, literally slaves of God. And that is the most backwards thing. The most free people are those that are slaves of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as slaves, Lord, we would be subject to every human institution because we've already gone low. We've already gone to the place where we're not going to use our freedom for ourselves. We're going to use it to serve Jesus and to do good in this world. So, Lord, I love you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what has been spoken here today. And God, I ask that you would just uh, continue to have your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. If I could just give a quick exhortation while the band's here. Um, I really don't want to have week two of submission to government. I want to go to like the next text. And there's a couple of verses that I want to encourage you to go read after church today. Verses um, 15, 16, and 17. 15 talks about how the will of God is that we as a church would do good. Do you want to put to silence the foolishness and the ignorance of man? You want to put to silence even those in government positions, Christians need to do good, more good, more good in this world, and that will silence. It's one pastor said, you know, the church doesn't play, um, you know, pin the tail on the donkey. It's pin the muzzle on the fool. And the way we do that is by our good deeds, by our good works. And then verse 16 and 17 talks about how we live as free people. Again, our freedom doesn't come from our country. Our freedom comes from our heavenly country, from heaven. The kingdom of heaven makes us free people. And so we use our freedom not as a cloak or a vice for living however we want to live, 
doing whatever we want to do, but we are in subjection for the Lord's sake because we live for another kingdom and we are slaves of Christ and that makes us the most free people that have ever existed. And then it says to honor everyone. You know, Romans says, outdo one another in showing honor. Let's have an honor competition, church. Who can outdo each other in honor? Like, whoever has, whoever shows the most honor wins. And this is for everyone. Honor everyone because everyone is made in the image of God. Love the brotherhood. You guys are doing that. Fear God because fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. And honor the emperor, even someone like Nero, even like someone who you don't agree with because you're saying, I submit to you and I honor you, but not for your sake, but for the Lord's sake. I honor you because God owns you and he rules over you and he has sovereignly raised you up for a limited season, praise God, and given you the leadership that you have because we have a God who has no limit to his kingdom. And for his sake and for his glory and because of his purposeful authority over us, we can honor anyone. We can honor anyone in any kind of government position. And I want to end like this. I've said end like five times. <laughs> Truly. Uh, and we're going to just worship with a song. But during the last presidential election, um, I heard this story and I just I absolutely loved it. You guys remember Pastor Tommy, my pastor in Santa Barbara, um, came down and spoke a while ago. He, on the Sunday morning after the last presidential election, prayed for the new presidents. And after service, somebody came up to him and said, how could you pray for just such a detestable, wicked man like him? And, and he looked that person in the face and he said, any sheep who tells their shepherd not to pray for somebody is not a sheep of mine. We are to pray for those who are governing authorities. That is like our prime duty, church, is to pray for those who are in positions of leading. If you can pray for somebody, that is one of the greatest ways you can show honor to somebody. So let's pray for those who are in authority and know that our authority does not come from what government gives us, but from what God has given us. We have the authority of all heaven and earth. We have God, we have his word, and we have his spirit dwelling in us. Let's all stand together.